Hi, I'd like to present an idea. Find liberty in a solution precisely calibrated to your circumstance, the hardship you elect. The comfort war is a path. It's a discipline for those of a unique condition. Those who find themselves at rock bottom despite their best efforts. They've been consumed by their passion, by their own ravenous desire, suppressed it with layers upon layers of stimulated comfort only to experience a pervasive state of brain fog, along with bouts of desperate frustration as a result. It's a unique condition, and from this unique condition arise both the circumstance as well as the method of dealing with it, a precisely calibrated solution. It's a solution for individuals in your exact condition, with these exact strengths and weaknesses. Though you are deficient in the area of clear thinking, your passion is fervent. This means you don't require an arousal of ambition, but only the means to combat the clouding of your perception. You therefore instill a simple system, consistent dedication to an abstract notion, a daily manual reset, and passion ensues. Your greatest strength is the intensity of that vigor, which made you so susceptible to its suppression in the first place. And therefore, you need not worry about what comes after clarity is regained, as passion erupts on its own. This I assure you. As it stands, only our kind is capable of both crafting and enduring such insane desperation, that which has led you to wholehearted commitment in the first place. Use that to your advantage. A daily commitment to an MR is a daily commitment to the fact that you fundamentally accept that what you seek is outside your current capability, that you've chosen the pursuit of improving it as such. Try as we might, no single moment of clarity, however great, will snap us out of years of faulty habits. No single commitment can be pursued in a solely conscious manner. Such a thing would require us to instantly master conscious thought, brandishing it, commanding it to our every beck and call. But you've tried that already, and you know the result for yourself, haven't you? Maintaining enough consciousness so as to slowly change your subconscious is achievable, but it is not a process during which your consciousness is absolute and never faltering. That is what I offer in the pursuit of clarity itself. And though it's not enough, it is the missing piece. As we've identified previously, once thought suppression is sufficiently practiced, you become programmed with the habit to just not think about it, whatever it may be. You'll go off on reoccurring, autopiloted, pain-suppressing pursuits of comfort whenever faced with ever-increasing negative emotional impulses. Thus, you are not only left with the inclinations to perform your worst behaviors, but this emotional experience isn't achieved consciously and is therefore nearly impossible to learn from or address in a rational manner. Ever regret something immediately after doing it? Commit to never do it again and repeat it sometime thereafter? These suppressed emotions build up until they are eventually released in a destructive outburst. 
only to somewhat calm, then rinse and repeat. It's a cycle that seems to suppress the exact faculties needed to extract yourself out of it. This is an important point. By doing so, supernormal stimuli acts in a positive feedback loop, self-perpetuating and self-enforcing. To this, again, we must calibrate our solution. The exact details as to why privacy, difficulty, and reduced stimuli work as they do to extract yourself from this numbed state are perhaps for another time. Nevertheless, this is a notion I must make clear. By your apprehensive aversion to it, you can often judge the effectiveness of the MR because of this insidious trait of comfort, because it entrenches itself in the strong aversions it instills towards countermeasures. You can see, therefore, the epic nature of the challenge ahead. Your effort requires you to act in a manner directly opposed to your inclinations, not once, but time and time again, as you are reluctantly and unavoidably dragged back into such an empty-headed state of mind. You will do this unsupported by the faculties of thought or congruent emotion. Once past the original state of desperate resolve that drove you to act, in fact, these will all seem against you. It's a solution calibrated for your precise condition. In many ways, the MR is like a delicate, thinly stretched veil that is yet somehow firmly impenetrable. Beyond it lies a miserable and terrible place that you might call the underground. At least, that's what Dostoevsky called it. But by its existence as a boundary, you are safeguarded from it. And that's superb because so long as you're desperate enough, so long as you're willing enough, so long as it remains your absolute priority, so long as if you hold on to anything, you hold on to this simple concept of a daily reminder, you'll never find yourself in that place. And yet, should you infringe? Should you allow for tear in that veil? As soon as you do, it's a sprint towards hell, and you better be ready for it. The MR matters. There is no comfort war without this measure so exclusive to the desperate. That's the deal. Simple, but absolute. In many ways, this resolute commitment, in and of itself, defines the entire effort. The pursuit of clarity is, and will always be, the primary struggle of a comfort warrior. Still, there is, of course, much more to the story. For one, you'll want to construct a buffer, something that will intrinsically come between you and the potential to fail at your daily MR. Second, remember that it's not the conduct of the MR in and of itself that makes it effective. It's that your daily success and failures are defined by its practice. Nor is it the case that these reminders alone are the change that you seek, but rather that these reminders alone will create a consistent and authentic baseline that brings forth the change. A stable foundation 
upon which you can build your discipline. Enter the unconditional rule set, your second armament in the comfort war, built upon the clarity gained in the MR. These rules are your building blocks of discipline, a figurative stepladder of progress laid upon the foundation of clarity achieved. There's much to say about them, but first, I must make two things clear. One, unlike the MR, these rules do not determine your daily success or failure. Two, while they are unconditional throughout your day, there is a specific time in which they can be modified, during or immediately after the conduct of the MR itself. Essentially, these rules are the constant adjustments you make to your life based on your thinking and self-discovery during the MR. They are only unconditional in the sense that once the MR is complete, they no longer require justification. Rather, you simply comply and follow through with these rules because they are rules. Now, I assume we're all adults here. In case of an emergency, it is fair to assume that you best trust your judgment and make decisions based on your current circumstances. That concludes my disclaimer. Got it? Good. I'll explain the reasoning behind this practice. As a daily practitioner of the MR, and following the introduction to this episode, you recognize that your ability to reason during the rest of your day is compromised. This is the entire premise of its practice, after all. Again, maintaining enough consciousness so as to slowly change your subconscious is achievable, but it is not a process during which your consciousness is absolute and never faltering. Nevertheless, you still require a tool in your arsenal that enables you to correct ruinous behaviors and avoid mistakes during this period of faulty thinking. So by reflecting on these thoughts during the MR and finding solutions to them, you can implement unconditional rules thereby not requiring you to hold on to the reasoning justifying them while in their practice. For example, let's say you've been diagnosed with high blood pressure. You may then implement some rules regarding diet and exercise in order to correct the original behavior which caused it. And though you may disregard the importance of a healthy level of arterial pressure in your systemic circulation later when making lunch choices, by simply following the rule that you've set earlier, you do not require to keep on to that reasoning in mind. You simply eat healthy because that's your personal rule. Now, it is your own personal responsibility to shape these rules in a way which you think is beneficial, and I am therefore hesitant to instruct you any further on their conception. That being said, I will suggest these rudimentary guidelines in order to keep you from making some basic mistakes. 1. Keep your rules focused, concise, and well-defined. 2. Write your rules down and review them daily. 3. Maintain a space below your current rule set, listing rules that are next on the agenda, i.e. you would like to add them on, but you don't have yet a strong grasp on your current rule set. It is also important to note that although you are certain to fail at these rules at one point or another, realize that there is a significant difference between such a blunder and elected failure. There will be times in which 
by comparison, choosing the continued enforcement of your rules will seem hypocritical. However, this is faulty logic and nothing more than a self-deception trap. For example, suppose you implement a rule to never use the internet before 10 a.m. on any given day. But on occasion, you fail at this rule by succumbing to the temptation of checking on the latest social media content. In reflection of this, your mother's request for a Skype call on Saturday mornings may seem mean-spirited to decline. After all, if you've broken the rule for Facebook, how can you not for your own mother? Or suppose you subscribe to the notion of intermittent fasting and made a rule that you will not eat after 5.30 p.m. or before 9.30 a.m. every day, though the vending machines at work do occasionally get the best of you. This is not comparable with a friend's request for you to join him for a late-night drinking session and does not somehow justify intentional failure. Though exceptions can be made to these rules, those can only be included during or immediately after the MR. Outside of this time frame, these rules are unconditional, and that is reason enough for them to be upheld. In both examples, the former and latter causes for failure are distinctly different. Although the former circumstances may have been of far less importance, they were circumstances in which you failed and do not excuse in the least any future choice of similar behavior. As I've alluded to earlier, the implementation of unconditional rules also benefits you by acting as a significant buffer during the relapses you will unavoidably experience. As opposed to when you were just practicing the MR, failing at some of your rules does not constitute total failure. Therefore, your rules allow for a delayed and inhibited regression that lasts up to the moment that you can snap out of it, mustering the focus to hit the brakes and return to your routine. I cannot stress enough how important this aspect of your rule set is. You'll see for yourself that once you've implemented more than one or two rules, that rather than hitting rock bottom, you'll be far more likely to experience only minor slip-ups such as missing a workout or a deadline. Although the reasons behind a relapse are often emotional, they are usually provoked by physical circumstance. Having rules that mold those physical circumstances will enable you oftentimes to leverage these mistakes into a better calibrated rule set. Quite astonishingly, through the practice of unconditional rules, I found that after sufficient repetition, these rules took willpower completely out of the equation. Besides a general increased tolerance to stress, I was also finding that I could expand my discipline further simply because the activities that used to drain my willpower no longer did. This was an incredible sign. It meant that my new habits required little to no cognitive effort and have been embraced by my subconscious. Can you believe it? Before I knew it, I was winning against my previously unknown enemy. I was inclined to produce effort, to endure hardship, and to seek personal betterment. It became an integral part of my life. And even if I tried to avoid it, the need to follow through was always in the back of my mind, like an itch that needed to be scratched. I was enticed to better myself without an allocation 
of resolve. And yet, herein lies a great danger. When Nietzsche said, from life's school of war, what does not kill me makes me stronger, he should have said, that which hurts may kill a part of you, making the whole of you stronger. And then probably added, or instead kill a part of you which you'll struggle to and perhaps never recover. But that wasn't Nietzsche's style. See, it's not true that what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. Take, for example, skin that's been exposed to frequent pressure and friction. It will callous and harden. If amputated, however, does the limb grow back better than ever? Of course not. Devastating societal hardships may set the condition for some few very unique individuals to overcome them. The rest of us just come back from deployment with PTSD. There is no glory in meaningless suffering, and it should not be pursued. Stress that is far beyond the limits of what you can handle will almost certainly break you. Resolve not to go past your stress tolerance, only to repeatedly encounter and ever expand that precipice. Never feel that you have to overcompensate after an egregious failure. Regardless of success or failure, your mission stays the same. Trying to emotionally overload yourself will only burn you out. It fogs up your thought process and can be wrongfully used to justify a relapse. Regardless of results, your mission stays the same. Don't let yesterday's results affect today's motivation. Not if you've just failed, nor if you're on a 100-day streak. Your mission stays the same every morning. Manually reset, warrior. Though pain is unavoidable, we do, to some extent, have the choice of which measures of pain we accept into our lives. Choose wisely. Choose clearly. And find a purpose based on that. You do not have to become at once everything you've ever wanted in order to achieve it. Simply continue to remind yourself that you are frustrated, that you will not settle for how things currently are until you get there. Never allow yourself to feel wholeheartedly comfortable in your current state. Only grateful, desiring, and urgent. Therein lies the potential for true change. There is no such thing as a life without hardship. Life is not designed to be comfortable, but we can earn enjoyment nonetheless. The universe is not designed for mankind's comfort, but we survive and thrive in it nonetheless. There are many things that we cannot control. We get hungry, we get tired, we get sick, we have a multitude of physiological and psychological needs, we all eventually die, and the existence of such uncontrollable tragedies is simply a fact of life. But you do have choice. You can choose to experience either the hardship of exercise and diet or the hardship of poor health and self-image. You can choose to experience either the hardship of studying and working hard or the hardship of failing among your peers and lacking funds. You can choose to experience either the hardship of peer pressure and scrutiny or the hardship 
of a next-day hangover, and perhaps addiction. And though none of these rewarding experiences are guarantees, hardship is. Best you choose to risk it, find liberty in it, and enjoy the effort. Life is not about what we can't control. It's about what we can control. It's not about being fair. It's about making choices, actions, and consequences. Choose the difficulties that are worthwhile over the inevitabilities of stagnation. Pain is unavoidable, but that does not mean it is terrible. Pain only becomes terrible when it's shrouded by the despair of meaninglessness. These unconditional rules are the hardship that you elect over the inevitable despair that will come as a consequence of foregoing it. They are an instruction to embrace discomfort instead of postponing it, thereby reaping future rewards. They are your cognitively imposed behavioral construct, setting a guideline that will not be influenced by anything that occurs below your level of awareness. In an environment no longer driven by necessity, they are the stronghold that fortifies your clarity and resolve. They are the difference between forced obedience and self-discipline. And in the absence of ease, there is no greater liberty. Thank you for listening.